my name is Katie Sanfilippo, and you are listening to my Critical Family Podcast. In this podcast, you will hear about my own personal examination of my family history. I I have always been super interested in learning about my family ancestry, and I have been doing stuff with this since I was in fifth grade. I am currently in graduate school at the University of Washington, studying a master's in teaching for elementary students, and this is part of a project for a social studies class. This class has really challenged me to look at history through a more critical lens and is inspired by the work of Christine Sleater, where she really highlights the importance of looking at history through a critical lens, and which means that looking at it through multiple perspectives, such as personal, collective, institutional, land-based, eliminating the single story. It's all important. In her 2019 article, she did note that in doing critical family history research, you will make your own ancestors worthy of scholarly attention. However, it might not give you comfortable stories. I was prepared to hear uncomfortable stories through my research, and I was surprised by some of the stories that I found. There were many times where I did feel uncomfortable and many times where I was surprised. Overall, I'm really excited to learn about it and I'm ready to dive in. In today's episode of my Critical Family podcast, I'm going to cover the topics of my grandfather's family history, my grandfather on my mom's side. I call him Pop. Throughout this podcast, you will most likely hear me call him Pop. His name is David Prince. He was born in Atlanta, Georgia in 1944. As a child and throughout his life, Pop had heard that he was of Cherokee descent. He didn't just hear, he knew it. He saw pictures of his great-grandmother in Cherokee tribal clothing. He heard stories about his family, and he even had a grandmother that had special conjuring powers that the medicine people of Cherokee Nation had. Now, his grandmother's name was Della Heron. Her maiden name is Lily Della Stevens, but he called her Nanny. Growing up, Pop loved his nanny so much. He spent a lot of time with her and just completely adored her. He said she was funny, made great food, and just overall was a great grandmother. Now, Pop didn't really think all that much about her conjuring powers. He just knew that there was something that existed. It wasn't until more recently that I started to learn about them, and I had a lot of questions for him. Luckily, I was able to interview him and ask him questions about what she could do, how she did it, and who she did it to. To my luck, I actually got to hear stories about her conjuring warts off of both him and my grandmother. My grandmother's name is Paula Prince. Maiden name, Buffington, but I call her Mimi. The following segments are recordings of my interview with him and his descriptions of her powers and his experiences with them. I remember when she, when she took that war off Mimi. She, she, just, she was sitting next to her about as close as I was, and, and she just took Paul's hand and just put it over her hand, in her hand, like held her hand, like, like she just put her hand on she just took mother's hand and just like put it on her lap like this. Yeah. And held it like she was holding her hand. And then she started doing this wherever the war was. Just real slow. 
and then at some point, before she let her hand go, she uh, went with that. Oh. And then what did it The just... wart fell off within a few days. God, that's crazy. She had it all of her life. Her whole life? It was, it was like right around in here, I think. And did she have anything on her hand? No. No, wow. And then, but then she went. And, and it was, Paul always said she whispered something to it. Oh. Like. Huh. Weird. And so, you said they passed this on to people? Yeah, you could tell one person. And you think it was Marianne that she told? I don't know. Hmm. So she passed on her conjuring. But yeah. Then, and people used to bring their babies to her to have the thrush taken out. Wow. I could have. That would have been nice. Especially the jewelry. She had, uh, she had some kind of stuff that was not a, I don't know what it was, when I'd get sick, have a sore throat. And it had a clove in it, and it was it was a color of vinegar, but it was thick. Hmm. And it was in a, like an old medicine bottle. Uh-huh. And she'd take it, and she'd put something, uh, a long, you got a long cotton swab, uh-huh. and she'd put it down there, and, and she'd tell me to open my mouth, and, and she'd mop your throat with it. That's all I ever took. Wow. One time, and they got rid of it? One time, and, and it was gone. You never had any more trouble with it. Yeah. Wow. That's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Here is one more recording of Pop actually recalling a memory that he had not thought of since he was a child and that occurred to him after we did the interview. Luckily, I was there when he thought of it and was able to record it. Here it is. Okay. I was probably about eight years old. And I, was, I stayed with Nanny uh, during the day because my parents worked. And I was on the bed, on, her, on Nanny's bed, asleep. And I woke up, and I can still remember it, just like it happened today. And I was laying on my stomach, and I had a, a wart on my kneecap and right on the back of my leg behind my knee and she was standing over me rubbing it and the warts washed away like grains of sand what did they wash her the next day no it took them about a few days wow but i remember i remember being in the bathtub and i would take the washcloth and, and when i was taking the bathroom and, and wash and it just started disintegrating this just, just washed it just went out into like grains was she usually in good health yeah yeah. Yeah. How did she die? Uh, just old age. Old age. She was nearly ninety. How old did she live to be? Almost ninety, I think. 90. Eighty-five. After hearing those stories from Pop, I was extremely interested in learning more about conjuring and Cherokee people. I'd always known, based off of what he told me, that her family, Nanny's family was known to be medicine men and women throughout Cherokee tribes. I didn't know exactly what this meant, and before this, I always just thought it meant that they knew exactly what types of herbs and herbal remedies to use to heal things. I didn't know anything about conjuring, so I decided to research this topic. In my research, I found a website called CherokeeByBlood.com. It's run by Native Cherokee members that are currently tribe members and people with Cherokee ancestry. 
In their section on religion, I found some interesting information about medicine men and women and conjuring. I also found information about witchcraft and witches, which I realized she most likely was not a witch by their standards because according to this website, witches were seen as negative, but medicine men and women were really helpful and they were healers. In this section, I found the following information. The knowledge held by the medicine man or woman is very broad in spectrum. They work for years committing to memory the syllabary manuscripts passed down to them by the ones who taught them. If the words are not spoken or sung in the Cherokee language, they will have no effect. Until the words have been memorized, the medicine person will refer to his book. This book does not compromise his abilities, as modern medical practitioners often refer to reference books too. The writings in these books are strictly guarded, and anyone who is not in training is strictly forbidden to study or read the books. The words are usually accompanied by a physical procedure, such as the use of specially prepared tobacco or drink. Medicine people must be and must remain in perfect health for their powers to be at peak. Their breath and saliva contain powers of their life force and are used in their medicine. After I read this, it made me reflect and think about parts of the story where my grandpa included his nanny getting really close to the wart using her breath and saliva as echoed in the Cherokee by blood reading. It did state that their powers were through their blood and saliva, and it sounds eerily similar to what his nanny did. Additionally, he mentioned that his nanny lived to be in her 90s, and she almost was always in perfect health. Also, reflecting back to the Cherokee by Blood article, where they mentioned that medicine men and women had to stay in perfect health in order for their powers to be at peak. I find it amazing that she was able to keep herself, herself in this perfect health throughout her life and that she used it to harness these powers for good and not evil. It makes me proud to be one of her ancestors. Unfortunately, we never found out exactly who she passed her powers on to and we never found out exactly where she got her powers from either. What we do know is that her mother's name was Tallulah Alice Stevens. She married into a family called the Newton family, a married man named John Newton. However, Lily Della Stevens was not John Newton's daughter. Through my research, I discovered that John Newton and Tallulah Alice Stevens married three years after Lily was born. Additionally, Lily has an older brother named Green, Green or Greenberry Benji Stevens, who's two years older than, than Lily. Before, before their mother married John Newton, we do not know where they lived or who they lived with. It is my assumption that he must, their father must have been 
a native man from a Cherokee tribe. And when you look into the geography of it, it makes complete sense. They lived in a town located in what is now Pickens County, South Carolina. Up until recently, I had never even heard of Pickens County, South Carolina. I always thought that my family was just from Georgia, where I was born and where my mom was born and my mom's parents. My dad's from Wisconsin, but that's besides the point. Anyways, I did some research into Pickens County, and it turns out it used to be called the Pendleton District. And in the Pendleton District, in what is now Pickens County, that was historically Cherokee Indian Territory for hundreds of years up until the American Revolution. During the American Revolution, the Cherokees sided with the British, hoping that by siding with the British, they would be able to get rid of all the white people in the area and get their land back. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case. The American Revolutionaries won, and the Cherokee did not get their land back. But a lot of my family ended up living there that was Cherokee, but also family that was white. So I looked into a little bit further, and it turns out in the Pendleton district of Pickens County, they gave land grants to soldiers in the Revolutionary War and let them keep the Cherokee land. So unfortunately, they never actually got this land back. And it's really devastating to them. But what I found interesting was that a lot of my Cherokee relatives continued to live there for a long time. And so did a lot of my white relatives, which was making me feel a little bit confused. At the moment of my confusion, I also realized that I had recognized the name Pickens when I was going through other family members, but not on Lily Della Stevens' side. I recognized it on her husband's side, too. Her husband's name was Ellis Monroe Heron, and it turns out they met in Pickens County, South Carolina, at some point between 1900 and 1910. They married at some point between those years. It's unclear of exactly when. But I found it interesting that his family was there, and I wondered why. So I started to do a little bit more research on his family, and I was really surprised by what I found. It turns out that my great-great-grandfather, his name is Ellis Monroe Heron. Ellis Monroe Heron's grand er, father's name was Pinkney M. Heron. Pinkney Monroe Heron is my guess, but the census records, the handwriting is really unclear and it was a little bit tough to read. But I'm just gonna go ahead and go with that. Anyways, Pinkney Heron's mother, her name was Mary Martin. When I was tracing her genealogy through Ancestry.com using census records, other family trees, and other historical documents, 
such as stories or um, marriage records, wills, etc. I found out that Mary Martin's father was Joseph Nanahi Martin. My jaw almost dropped when I read this name. I had no idea that there was Cherokee on both sides of that branch of family for my grandpa. He always thought that it was just his nanny that had Cherokee. But through this research, I discovered that Joseph Nanahe Martin was also of Cherokee descent. The name Nanahe really stuck out to me, and so I decided to look it up on nativelanguages.org. I found out that the name Nanahi has an affiliation with the Cherokee tribe and has lots of alternate spellings. But the Nanahi people were known as travelers and they were actually a supernatural spirit race, which is friendly towards humans, particularly towards the Cherokee tribe. I was a little bit confused about how he got the name Nanahi, but I never actually found the answer. Perhaps he was just a traveler. Perhaps he was a human warrior that liked to protect Cherokee people. I'm not exactly sure, but that was his name, and I confirmed it across over 10 sources, not just on Ancestry.com, but through written excerpts I found from um, family members that I had to request access to, and other stories that I just found by Googling him, which I was amazed at. I had no idea that we had such a strong connection with Cherokee Nation and Cherokee ancestry. I was always living under the assumption that it was simply just under Lily Della Stevens, and to my surprise, I was wrong. And to my grandpa, this was a huge surprise. He had no idea. He also wonders if possibly Billy Della Stevens somehow got passed down these powers from somebody else, maybe outside of the family. We really don't know. But what we do know is the research that I found on Joseph Nanahe Martin. Through lots of extensive research and hours digging, I finally found real quality information about Joseph Nanahe Martin, who is my fifth great-grandfather. It turns out Joseph Nanahe Martin was born in North Carolina in the year 1790. He was born to his parents named Joseph or John Joseph Martin, who was a loyalist general in the American Revolution. John Martin, the general, ended up moving to Cherokee Nation after the Loyalists lost the Revolution. During his time in the Revolutionary War, he became close with a woman named Mary Fowling Emery. She also goes by the name Susanna, which was her mother's name. Mary Fowling Emery was a full-blood Cherokee woman, and she grew up in Cherokee Nation, Tennessee, but spent a lot of time on the Tennessee-South Carolina border, kind of near where Pickens is. And it's assumed that that's where she and John Martin met. They lived together for a while and had two sons. Between the two sons, only Joseph had the title of Nanahe, 
But his brother wrote an excerpt that is available on wikitree.com in a letter stating what the Nunahay people did to help the Cherokee tribe before their removal in 1838. It turns out that the Nunahay were a race of immortal spirit people, and they warned the Cherokee of impending danger and protected them in times of need. One of the most well-known stories about Nunahay tells how they helped the Cherokee before their removal in 1838, especially my own family. In 1838, the Cherokee were forced to leave their homeland and resettle in Oklahoma. In my story, the Nunahay came to our came to our Cherokee village and told the people to pack up their belongings and to be prepared to leave in seven days to come live with the Nunahay, for a great catastrophe was about to happen, worse than anything that had ever happened before to the Cherokee. After seven days, the Nunahay returned for the Cherokee and led them to a large stone deep in the mountains. As the Cherokee watched, the stone rolled away, revealing an entrance into the mountain. Inside the mountain was the most beautiful place the Cherokee had ever seen, and many families rushed into the mountain without ever looking back. However, some people refused to enter and instead chose to stay outside and face whatever was about to happen to them. The people who remained outside were later forced to leave their homes and resettle in Oklahoma. The people who chose to live with the Nanahe escaped the fate of their fellow Cherokee. According to the story, many Cherokee people were saved because of the Nanahe. Now, I am unsure of exactly how Joseph Martin got the title of Nanahe, but I wonder if he helped lead his tribe to safety to ensure that they didn't have to walk the Trail of Tears because upon further research, I discovered that most of my Cherokee ancestors were allowed to stay in their homeland. And I'm not sure why this is. I don't know if it's because they had white blood mixed with them since they were John Martin's children and they could pass as white people. But I also know he helped other tribal members in this area. So I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I'm okay with not knowing. It makes me sad that he wasn't able to help more people, but I'm glad he was able to help some of them. Unfortunately, Joseph Nonahay Martin had a, suffered a horrible death and drowned in the Chickamauga River in 1846. According to an Indian custom, he plunged himself in the river to cure smallpox, and this was written in the excerpt by his grandson named William. So it is confirmed that this is how both my grandpa and I were extremely saddened to hear about the fate of Joseph Nunahay Martin. And also just had a hard time really thinking about the history that the Cherokee Indians went through at this time. It was so emotional and devastating, and it's hard to process. So a lot of this work was really challenging and uncomfortable, as Christine Slater mentioned that it might be. However... 
we actually ended up finding more information and some really odd connections to another family member. However, the connection that I found between Joseph Nanahe Martin and another family member wasn't with another family member on my pop's side. It was with a family member on my grandmother's side. My Mimi's great, great, great grandfather, Ezekiel Buffington. The connection that I found here was certainly jaw-dropping. I was with my little sister, Olivia, when I made this discovery. I was just showing her the information that I had found and the connections that I had made to the Cherokee tribe. She was also really interested in the conjuring aspect of it all, so I wanted to share this with her. But when I ended up going to Joseph Nanahi Martin's page, I clicked on his mother, Mary Fowling Emery. And I discovered that after General John Martin passed away, who was Joseph Nanahi Martin's father, she ended up marrying another man. And this man's name was Ezekiel Buffington. When I saw the name Buffington, that was when things started to get a little bit weird. You see, the last name Buffington is extremely familiar to me. It's my Mimi's maiden name. Mimi, as in my grandmother, who was married to Pop. And I was a little bit curious as to whether or not Ezekiel Buffington was really in the same family as my Mimi, because I was just really hoping that Buffingtons just had a lot of people, and a lot of people had the last name Buffington. Unfortunately, I was wrong. And it turns out Mary Fowling Emery and Ezekiel Buffington had lots of children together one of which his name was Oburn Buffington. I wasn't sure if Oburn Buffington was in my family at all, and they had so many children with the last name, I just figured that there was no way. Luckily, I had already created an established family tree years prior to this and was able to use it as a reference. When I looked back, it was confirmed that Oburn Buffington is my sixth great-grandfather, meaning that Mary Emery Fow- or Mary Fowling Emery is my seventh great-grandmother on my, on my grandmother's side and my sixth great-grandmother on my grandfather's side. This was certainly a shocking discovery to not only me, but my grandfather. Unfortunately, my grandmother has passed away, and she wasn't here to hear the news. But I think that, luckily, it was far enough in the past that it wasn't much of an issue. Through more extensive research, I found a document written by a man named... Richard Fields, I believe. It's unclear of exactly who the author was, but 
this was a story written by somebody in the Buffington family. And I've seen it published across multiple Buffington family trees on Ancestry.com and through Google searches. The same story pops up. The story is really long and includes tons of information about my family history. There's so much information and not enough time in the day to let you all know about it, but I will provide the resources in the description if you'd like to check it out yourself. I'm not exactly sure who wrote this story, but since I found it across so many different websites, mediums, and just different family trees with Buffington family members, I'm going to hold it as credible, and I'm going to share it with you. Here it is. The Buffingtons came from Quaker families from Pennsylvania and moved to South Carolina by 1754. They settled in the Abbeville district, owning land on Turkey Creek. This put them in proximity of Indian trader Robert Gowdy and other Indian traders, including John Van. They went into business with Van, then the Dews family of the Abbeville district. Around 1760, Ezekiel Buffington married a white woman and worked on his father's farm in the Abbeville district. Seven years later, he gave up farming and joined his uncle in the Indian trade. According to the story, it was during his time in the Indian trade where he met his first wife, Elizabeth Emery a Cherokee woman from the town of Tomatilly, North Carolina. She's the sister of Mary Fowling Emery, Joseph Nonahay Martin's mother. Ezekiel Buffington and Elizabeth Emery had one known child together. Then, in 1769, Ezekiel returned to his white family because his father had died and there were some matters to attend to. Elizabeth waited wondering if he would return to his white wife as well, whom he had left for her. After 10 months of waiting, she married another Indian trader named Robert Dew. Shortly after, Ezekiel Buffington returned and was none too happy to find his business associate had taken his wife. So he married Elizabeth's sister, the widow, Mary Emery Fowling Martin. With Mary, he had over six children born across North Carolina and Upper Georgia. The story of Ezekiel continues during his Revolutionary War service. Like many of the men who married into the Cherokee, there's no record of his service in the Revolution. He spent time in the back, as a backcountry loyalist who tried to remain hidden and neutral as much as possible among the tribe. By 1781, he had left the Cherokee and was unaccounted for. In the late 1700, in the late 1780s, he showed back up with his uncle in the Pendleton District, also known as Pickens County, South Carolina. Land lost by the Cherokee as a result of the revolution in the Pendleton District was given to soldiers in the form of grants. In 
Pendleton District, Pickens County, was part of the land lost. According to the roster, members of the Martin family were granted 270 acres of land, and Ezekiel Buffington was also granted an unknown amount of land in the Pendleton District of South Carolina. His son, Oburn Buffington, lived close to him and also had land. It's unclear of whether or not they lived together, but according to the census, they lived in close proximity. All of this information was made available in the 1800 census record of America. A few years prior to that, Oburn Buffington married Maisley Beasley and had one son with her in 1798. His name was also Ezekiel Buffington. He might have had more children with her, but I've had a little bit of a hard time locating their exact names, and I'm only referring to my direct line of ancestors. Shortly after Oburn and Maisley Buffington had their first son, and possibly only son, Oburn's grandfather, also named Ezekiel Buffington, purchased 575 acres of land from James Hunt Cunningham of Jackson County, Georgia, on December 11, 1799. This land was for the Buffington family to live. So that was grandfather Ezekiel, his son Ezekiel, and then Ezekiel's son Oburn. So three generations of family. By 1805, all of the Buffingtons had moved to Georgia including all the Cherokee Buffington families, which had already started to locate there. About 18 years later, Ezekiel Buffington, Oburn's father, died in Jackson County. Mary Buffington, his his sister, sold her share of the estate back to her father in gave it to her Cherokee half-siblings for $300. She wanted to return land, even though it wasn't the land that they previously lived on, back to her Cherokee ancestors. Well, they were her siblings, but I'm just making the assumption that she was doing the right thing here and gave them some land back. However, this really caused some turmoil with Her brother, Oburn, who did not want the Cherokee siblings to receive anything, and he contested this appointment prevailed in court. Reading this statement in the story really confused me because I was under the impression that Oburn was Mary Fowling Emery's son, Mary Fowling Emery and Ezekiel Buffington's son. Reading the story, I'm not exactly sure if she really was his mother or if he had another mother. Possibly he was in denial of his half-Cherokee blood or possibly he was born before Ezekiel Buffington married Mary Fowling Emery. I really don't know, but what I do know is that Oborn really did not want Cherokee members to receive anything. Oburn's Cherokee siblings registered in the Cherokee register, but Oburn did not 
Oburn's children tried to and were unsuccessful. But just reading that really made me question whether or not there really was a relation between Oburn and Mary Emery, Mary Fowling Emery. And if there wasn't, that means that Mimi and Pop aren't distantly related after all. But what I do know is that I probably won't really find out the truth. I've spent over two weeks analyzing nearly every document that I could get my hands on, requesting access to family trees, requesting access on various websites, going through Cherokee Nation websites, looking at census files and everything. And I was not able to find an answer, just like I wasn't able to find an answer as to whether or not Lily Della Stevens father was a native man or who he really was what i do know is that the stevens heron and buffington family all lived in pickens county south carolina which was formerly cherokee territory before the revolutionary war i know that the buffingtons were indian traders and that was really disappointing to hear it was surprising to find that Ezekiel Buffington did quit the Indian trade after he married Mary Fowling Emery, which was, I guess, a good thing, but it still makes me feel shame and feel a little bit sad inside knowing that he participated in this. The long story that I just read you was provided to me on a website called rootsweb.com and it was submitted by a Buffington family member. It is unknown who this member is, but as I mentioned before, I found it across various websites and word for word, the same version in many different places on ancestry.com and through other access. If you would like to read more about this story, please visit one of the websites in the sources below. Overall, in doing this critical research on my family history, I learned so much information, and I discovered some really awesome information that was exciting to hear, but also some information that made me uncomfortable and disappointed in my family history. As a white woman, I have to understand the implications that this might have historically, and it's important for me to recognize my positionality moving forward as an educator. In the future, I'm going to take everything that I learned from this project and really use it to shape the way that I teach tribal studies to my future students during social studies class. I want to teach it from a more critical lens, and I really hope to share more of the perspectives of Native Americans and include their narrative. 
and really get involved with the tribal community. I think I plan on reaching out to tribal community leaders at the beginning of the school year, probably every year, and setting up field trips for my children and students to learn from them and get to know real perspectives of history and not just from the single story of a white man. It's really important to me that my future students are learn to look at history through a critical lens and really ask questions. Think about how the social groups interacted with each other. What was really going on at the time? We will be taking field trips. We'll be doing interactive activities. And I'm going to be doing my best that I can to support them. And just by simply knowing this knowledge, it really just changes the way that I think I'm going to teach history in the future and the way that I'm going to interact with tribal studies. Learning about my ancestry and involvement in Cherokee Nation has made me more interested in learning about Cherokee culture and learning more about the little details of it. I want to learn more about Pickens County. I want to learn more about the Nunahe. I want to learn about the relationship between white people and Cherokee people in the South now. That's information I didn't get to in this podcast and didn't get to research enough. And to bring the past to the present, that's one thing that I want to do. After I submit this podcast, I'm going to be continuing my research and hopefully learning a lot more about what it means to have this background in my family. What I do know now is that currently in 2020, a lot is going on. A lot of social justice issues are finally really becoming more well-known and widely protested in America. I want to get more involved in this, which I already have, but... I want to get more involved in this and learn even more about it and continue my studies. I'm more motivated to include social justice issues now than ever, and I always have been, but now I'm even more certain of it. And I know that I'm going to have a strong emphasis on tribal studies in my social studies classrooms. In a podcast called We Aren't Who We Think We Are, spoke told by Leah Donella, an NPR podcast, she went into her family, her critical family research, thinking that she was going to uncover a happy love story. But it turns out she really uncovered a lot of information that she was both excited and disappointed to hear about. And similarly to Donella, I unfortunately uncovered many painful aspects of my family history. I discovered that ancestors on both my grandmother and grandfather's side, most likely, were Indian traders in Cherokee Nation. One of the painful things that I discovered was that Oburn did not want to share this land with his Cherokee siblings. And the implications that that has on the present today really reminds me of how 
white people still are not accepting of people of other races and especially of even recognizing Native Americans in the land that they live on. In the future, I'm going to be I'm going to do my best to be an ally and to work hard at understanding these issues better and motivating my future students to participate in this. But for now, I thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to check out my resources. And I end by saying that I'm grateful for this project and to have learned more about my family history. Without it, I would have not had the chance to learn all this and I would have not had the chance to have that very strong and amazing dialogue between my grandfather and I and to have made and to have helped him answer questions that he's had throughout his entire life. Once again, I wanted to thank you for listening and share how grateful I am to have given the opportunity to engage in critical family history research. It's really opened my eyes and this is definitely not the end of it for me. I've only done one branch of the family and now I need to go do every single other branch and possibly go even further in this, own, in this branch. If you ever have any questions, feel free to contact me and please check out all my resources. Thanks for listening. This is Katie Sanfilippo's Critical Family Podcast. Mm-hmm.